Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. Today, my guest is John Toda. John began his career in the financial services business as a technology trainer for a firm called Payne Weber and UBS before co-founding Edulance in 2002 and creating KnowledgeLink, which is one of the first subscription-based online training services. Under John's leadership, the team at Edulance innovated the LMS model and scaled KnowledgeLink to serve several hundred thousand users in multiple different verticals. In 2020, Edulance was acquired by eLearning Brothers to make KnowledgeLink the LXP platform for one of the most trusted brands in the learning and development space. John now leads LXP product design for the company and serves as a thought leader and educator on learning experience design and video learning strategies. So John, welcome to the Adapters Advantage podcast. Mark, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Well, there's so much to, uh, to cover but let's start off just with all that I've described in your introduction there. How do you answer the question when, when you meet someone for the first time and they say, John Toda, uh, what do you do? For the, the bulk of my career, when I look back on it, I've really kind of served this role as a business analyst. I think that's probably the truest form of, of what I've been over these years is working between our clients, the users of our application and our engineering team to make sure that we were always innovating the product, moving it in a direction that would serve the clients the best way possible. So, you know, I was never an engineer myself. I didn't, I didn't code and, and build the application. Um, and I, I always did a little bit of sales, but I really spent most of my time in that role of kind of working between our customers and the product team and, and really making sure that we were meeting all their requirements along the way. And today that's kind of morphed a little bit in my new role where I'm essentially like a product advocate where I'm working with the sales team and the customer success team and making sure that they are explaining kind of the vision for the product the right way and helping educate our customers so they know how to use it. You know, John, as I've gotten to know you, as I listen to that answer, uh, two words that would come to mind as I would call out what I'll call your unique ability, it's synthesizing and translation. And I know one of the things that's so critical in the financial services industry, in particular in the life insurance space, where I know Edulence really was, was focused, is this capacity to understand the needs of what someone in financial services is trying to say, and then being able to translate that over from a technical specification standpoint. And you know, sometimes there's a big gap in that, in that arena. So one of the things that I wanna start with regarding Edulence was that you were one of the first online video training platforms, which is obviously something of great interest to me. And, and coincidentally, for our listeners, you and I were working kind of in a parallel universe. Um, you were in the life insurance industry and working with some of the same clients that I was working with in a slightly different capacity. And, and my question is, what caused you to start in that industry and, and uh, build this company Edulence? And then what was the biggest lesson you learned from growing that company? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's fun looking back now at uh, kind of the genesis of of Agilence and and how we got started. So as you were saying, I started in financial services. Um, I was actually, you know, out of school. I wanted to be a screenwriter. So I started uh, writing in waiting tables. My family was all on Wall Street, and uh, and my father kept saying, you know, when when are you coming? When are you coming? At some point, you got to come <laughs> to Wall Street, right? You can't stay away for too long. Um, so when I, I realized that my, my writing career wasn't taking off, I took a job with, with my, my dad at Payne Weber, and, but I didn't want to be on the sales side. I didn't want to be a stockbroker back in, you know, and this was back in the, the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And so I said, but I love technology. I'd never really been trained in it, uh, but I would love to learn it. And back then the technology was all LAN and WAN networking because nothing was internet powered. It was at that time, it was really all kind of mainframe technology. And I was fascinated by it. And I, I love that aspect of helping advisors leverage the technology um, and kind of use it to, to make, you know, create efficiencies in their, in their business model. And then, you know, for me, I was always on the, the investment side of the business um, coming from Payne Weber. I'd met my co-founder at the time who his whole family was in life insurance. So he knew the life insurance business inside and out. And he was building local networks for stockbrokers in my office. And I met him there and he said, hey man, when you're ready to leave your dad, why don't you come and partner up with me and we'll start doing computer consulting together. And I did that a, a couple of years later and we started building networks for, um, it's, uh, you know, my space was building it for, independent brokerage firms. And at that time, it was a lot of day trading operations because I knew all of the Bloomberg systems and First Call and Reuters. So I would put those systems in and he was working on the life insurance side, building local networks for insurance agencies. So yeah, so I really started to get more focused on the life insurance space, even though that was really my, my partner's field, because they just had a, a much greater emphasis on education and we spent so much of our time teaching people how to use the technology and educating them. And that was always in the life insurance side, as you know, education was like their upper hand. They, you know, yes. they wanted to get more educated. And on the, the investment side, it was all about recruiting. How can we recruit more brokers and get more brokers in the door? Yep. So for us, we really kind of geared as, at Agilence. We really focused more um, moving in that direction. I mean, we were originally a technology training company before Agilence. And then we started Agilence back in 2002, as you mentioned, um, we had, we were doing a lot. I know you too, a lot with Guardian Life Insurance. They were our, one of our first clients uh, working for agencies and, and for the company directly. And uh, I remember back in, I think it was probably 2001, 2000, 2001, the, um, the CIO at Guardian said, we love what you guys are doing with adoption training for client relation managers at the time it was specifically easy data that they were using. Okay. Um, and my partner was brilliant with uh, adoption strategies. And we just did, it was two of us that could do it and we couldn't handle a national contract. And so what we decided, I said, I was a screenwriter and I studied video production in school. So I said to my partner, well, listen, you have all this great knowledge. Yeah. Let's get, go in the back of our office and I will put you on a green screen and we'll shoot a bunch of videos and you'll never leave. The, you don't have to leave the office. Kind of like we'll, what we're doing right now. I know. Like right? All these years later. Yeah. I was like, but back then you had to burn them onto CD-ROMs yeah. or it might've been DVDs at that time. I, I think it's still, it might've been CD-ROM based training. 
And um, I said, well, put them out, burn them onto CD-ROMs and then sell them back to the insurance companies. Well, then we started looking at the numbers it would cost to burn all those discs and ship them. Yeah. And I, you know, at that time we had this crazy idea of saying, well, it'd be much cheaper if we just put it online and we just yeah. let these guys watch it through the internet, which, you know, now you're talking about 2002 when we started building this, not a good idea at all. The internet was not ready. Right. But, yeah. So I remember those early days of showing it to insurance companies. They loved the training. They loved the idea, but man, it just rebuffered and rebuffered while you were like sweating through the whole demo. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it'll catch back up. It'll come back. But yeah. So that's, that was kind of the early, the early stages for us. And what's the big thing you learned kind of going from that startup as the company matured um, as it relates to the learning process? I think, you know, I, I think about this a lot because, as you know, we, we just recently sold the, closed on the acquisition of the company. And I think for us, if you look back, we pivoted the entire application um, at least three, maybe four major times. Yeah. And it was really looking at our clients. And again, going back to me being a business analyst by trade, looking at our clients, the way they wanted to use the technology, where the shortcomings were. And really, I think our willingness to throw away one version of the application and rebuild from scratch, sometimes overlapping at, at pretty substantial cost, building a new version that was making no money for us while everyone was still on the old one, but knowing that you just had to throw away the old version and jump. You know, like we went to a full cloud-based SaaS model long before any of these large companies were comfortable with it. But we knew it was just the only cost-effective way for us to keep moving everybody forward rather than building a custom solution for one sure. company and then rebuilding it and rebuilding it. Um, so, yeah, I think just that willingness to listen to customers and, and be open to changing the application pretty dramatically when we needed to. You know, John, that's such a great example. As you were saying, and I couldn't help but think about watching Mark Randolph, who's one of the co-founders uh, with Reed Hastings of Netflix, yeah. talk about the same thing, where they had built up this infrastructure around the DVD business. And they'd learned so much about the US mail, right? And I don't know if you remember, but at one point they actually sort of broke it into two services, the DVD, and that was a disaster, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and uh, but what I'm hearing and what you're saying, which is so highly correlated with successful entrepreneurs, and part of the reason we call this adapter's advantage is that notion of adaptability, of not taking it personally, because the thing that you're working on, you're, you're, you're realizing it's obsolete or it's going to be obsolete before everyone else does. So rather than wait until your customers are telling you that, you're getting ahead of it. And they not, may, may not be ready for cloud-based uh, SaaS software yet, but the fact that you're moving in that direction and staying ahead of them, that's a big part of the leadership confidence and direction that entrepreneurs bring to the equation. And I think it's, it's often missed. It takes, it, it takes a lot of innovation for, for Steve Jobs to, uh, to be able to say, oh, the whole world loves this thing called BlackBerry and they love those little keys and no one's complaining about it. No one's saying, I hate this, right? But still he's saying, yeah, but it, there's gotta be a better way to do this without having to type. Um, let's talk about your new company though, Syntax Plus Motion, because in classic entrepreneurial fashion, uh, there's, there's no moss that's been growing here. So you just literally <laughs> sold the last company, but and you had, and when did you start Syntax Plus Motion? So, yeah, so um, we started that uh, back in 2016, but really, really kind of 
under the same umbrella. So from Agilence from the beginning, um, we really funded the development of the Knowledge Link application uh, with custom work because you know the subscription product wasn't wasn't generating enough revenue from the beginning. So we would build custom applications, we would produce custom uh, online courses, video production. We do that for all of our large clients mm-hmm. while we were building up a you know the the subscriber base. Over time, that subscriber base in Knowledge Link became significant enough that it covered all the costs, and we didn't need to do all the production work anymore. And so. But I loved it. You know, I came from a production background. I was a writer by, you know, you know, originally I always wanted to be a screenwriter. And so just kind of out of the joy of it, I always wanted to produce content. And also as the application scaled, the creative side, as you know, the creative side kind of goes out the door a little bit in your product when you, you scale your user base so large that all of the feature requests are coming from your user population and your great idea you come up with in the middle of the night doesn't actually make it into the pipeline. Yes, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know. They look at you like you're crazy. So I said, you know, I want to get back to producing content. I always loved doing it. And I kind of had an eye on, you know, we had raised money. Um, you know, we'd done just a private round of um, friends and family round when we originally got started. So we'd always had the plan that there needed to be an exit at some point for Knowledge Link. And what investors were really interested in was the software, the subscription software side of the business. So I, you know, started to build, you know, in a lot of ways, Syntax Emotion was kind of like my exit plan is that I knew that I wanted to get into production, developing content, um, and also separating that from the the subscription side of the business. So started it while I was still running Edulence, you know, but really Edulence was my priority and, and the, the main driver of everything. But knowing that we wanted to develop original content, we wanted to build more online courses and, and do some thought leadership as well. Um, and so Syntax in Motion and then the name was really from everything that we do is a combination of code on the web and video. So Syntax for code and yeah. Motion for video. So so it's kind of the combination of what of what our uh, our expertise is. So yeah, now Syntax in Motion we produce online courses for thought leaders, experts, anybody who kind of training companies who want to build courses and then sell them to large companies, which has kind of always been our our niche. And uh, and we produce quite a bit of our own original content, which for me is kind of my passion play, getting back to. Yeah. My roots is, as a screenwriter. Screenwriting is going to happen, right? <laughs> One way or another, man. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to get to that because I mean, you're doing some cool original stuff. I do want to ask, though, John, in this pan- post-pandemic era that we'll call this period of time, um, I've got to imagine that there are more and more people who are realizing that they need some help to do exactly what you've described, particularly at larger companies. Yeah, so what we've really seen now, and, and I'm seeing it still because, you know, eLearning Brothers acquired Knowledge Link, and, and so I'm still working with them. And you've seen the, um, the interest in platforms like Knowledge Link has obviously gone through the roof. I'm sure you're seeing it with your product as well. Mm-hmm. Um, companies who were like on the fence, well, we got to do this at some point, but we only have a couple hundred people, not a couple thousand, so we can get by. Right now they're realizing that even if you had 50 people, you need a virtual learning platform in one form or another. Yeah. So the thing that I've noticed and, and this kind of plays to where the space we're in now is that the people who didn't develop content 
are kind of in a tough spot right now because it's difficult to go into a studio and shoot video or to have a crew come on site into your location and produce video. And the people who were, you had the foresight to produce content, they may not have released it yet, but they're very happy that they actually produced content. Um, They're ahead of the game. We do quite a bit of the content that we're producing now is audio-based. We do a lot of podcast productions, uh, scripted audio fiction, voiceover work with screen simulations, because that's just right now, that's the kind of content people can easily create. Sure. Um, And I love what you can do with audio because you can create a really immersive experience with the technology today that you couldn't do even a few years ago. Yeah, and and in particular, I want to ask you about that. Um, So I'm going to come back to some of the original programming you have and the, the unique elements, really the auditory unique elements, because there may be some applications for that concept with some of our listeners. But before I do that, I want to talk about an article that you wrote recently in Training Magazine, and it was just about the concept of just-in-time learning, which is a concept near and dear for me because it's, a, it's really a fundamental precept within our whole framework. So one of the things you talked about in the article, John, was this notion of the problem with what I'll call traditional mandatory-based training versus the notion of giving people choices. Can you describe why is it that this this notion of giving people options and choices versus the mandatory model is so important today? Yeah, so I um, I... I just gave a, a, this is kind of my current talk that I do now in the industry. And I, and I just gave it and I, and as I was preparing, I realized that for the last three years, I've been giving this talk in different, you know, with National Speakers Association and in the, in the training industry, talking about the skill set economy. And my concept with that was that, you know, we built our LMS business and like everybody on this idea that it was all about managing content. It was really administrator driven and it was this new world. When we got into it, everyone said, well, we, we have everything on discs or we have it on VHS tapes or, or in some physical format and we need to manage it when we deliver it online and make sure it's being reported on and then it's compliant because we're in financial services even more so. And then time has just evolved. Technology has, has come to a whole new level and this generation wants, wants to participate more in the content. Sure. And And I also said, I was giving this talk for years now, not knowing that it was kind of the direction everyone was going with this whole learning experience model. But the skill set economy for me was that if you can show a new hire or any employee at your company that there's a specific learning path for them that's going to move them forward on their career track to get them where they want to be professionally and personally, then they're going to electively jump in and engage with that content. And you don't need to manage it. You don't need to require it, enroll them in it, and force them through that path. They're going to want to do it because it's moving them along on the path that they want for their career. Um, By the way, that that in and of itself, John, is a paradigm shift in many HR departments around the country, right? Around the world for that matter. Yes. And, you know, now it's the buzz of like LXP, but, you know, that's just marketing buzz in a lot of ways. The idea of just saying that people want to have ownership in their career direction. They want to know, particularly this generation, they're, they're pretty savvy. And they know their LinkedIn profile is their resume. And that I had one of my um, young employees in the new company. I asked her, she was right out of school, 22 years old. And I said, 
what do you want to get out of your job? Like, what, what are you looking for? And she's like, I want to be known as an expert on LinkedIn. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So what, you know, what can we do to move you along? And, and all that you're doing with the technology now is saying, okay, how can we evolve the technology so that the individual knows that they have some say in that path that, yes. and, and that they will electively move through it. And again, it goes back to my roots. I always was an adoption trainer. So everything for me is about how do you, how do you drive technology adoption? How do you get people to want to do online training and not be forced to do it? That's the kind of the essence of, of a user adoption. And so, yeah, that's, that's to me kind of the, the genesis of all that. And obviously it's morphed quite a bit with, with new technology today. Well, as you're talking about that, John, I'm, I'm thinking about the show that I'm sure you've seen uh, called The Social Dilemma on, on Netflix. And you know what I'm realizing is that everything you just described is almost a natural process. It's really the way in the early days of YouTube, you know, it evolved and, and people, you were interested in a topic and, and in many ways it was uh, useful. I know for myself, like it was super useful that Amazon said, oh, Mark, you like this book by Malcolm Gladwell? You might like this other book by Malcolm Gladwell. And I, and I ended up buying the book because I said, yeah, I do. Like this was terrific stuff. But what I recognize is that in the learning world that there wasn't a lot of that going on. And now I think what's happened is in the social media thing, it's just, it's gone so far the other way that it's like everything's being tuned all the time, not necessarily for you to develop as an employee or for you to develop as a person, but simply to get your eyeballs engaged to, to look at ads, right? Which coincidentally is really what the television model was 50 years before that. It was the same thing without AI tuning it in the background. Yeah. And, and I think when you look at learning, you know, our space of learning specifically, this is the danger that starts to enter into this model is that you are creating a model that can create even more noise because now you're saying, okay, now this elective path, let's take it one step further and allow people to modify the path, to curate content, to bring it in from the outside into an internal system right. and evolve it. And I think that's where there's got to be some boundaries and there's got to be some structure to it because all of a sudden this this can be create as much noise as you start to see online in a lot of ways and it and it becomes a detractor as much as it originally was the 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 real adoption driver You, you talked about the real goal of corporate training is to create a better workforce and you know where i was going with that is that um i believe that can only really happen if you can keep people learning and coming back for more because they want to come back for more. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the job that you described of, of being in the business of driving adoption, right? People don't realize like that's a thing that you need people to think about. So my question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned as it relates to getting, I'll, I'll use the word salespeople in general, to be interested in the content so that they want to come back and learn more? So, you know, and I would say even before all of this talk today, which is about people saying, okay, you know, a learner is going to want to contribute to the learning path. They're going to want to pull stuff in from the, the outside and uh, add to a learning path. I think that's still a work in progress. There's not enough data on that to see that people are really going to engage. It's a nice theory mm-hmm. that a user is going to say, wow, I want to grab stuff from Ted or from some blog post and add it to the learning path. 
I think it's a nice theory. I don't know that it's truly been tested that people are going to do that. Now, I've been running learning programs, applications for 20 plus years for insurance companies, banks, and investment firms for financial advisors. And I would say largely they don't want to do that. They expect that the training department's going to do that. That's why we pay them all that money to find the right stuff for us. And I think the training department's like to some extent to control it, to have some boundaries on it. And so I think that where where we kind of have to go with from an adoption perspective is that, you know, I always come back and say, it's really about making it part of like in the flow of work. And I think that's a little bit that just in time training article, it's a little bit about that too, is that for me, it's got to also be just in time training in the flow of work and, and specifically designed at the right moment to be what they need. So one of our, uh, traditionally one of our largest clients had um, this Hoopas Performance Network, which you probably know. Sure, from, I do. Harry, and they've been on, right? Yeah, Harry. And, and Harry was one of our, I think he might've been the second community on KnowledgeLink. So they've been on the platform for a really long time. And from the very beginning, Harry created this session called Phone Buddy which was essentially just these little like post-its that in a session, it was little post-its that you click on them and it was objection handling for an insurance agent that they could pull up on their phone while they were either doing a call or waiting to go into a call and click on the objection. It would flip over and show you how to handle it, right? Just, you know, old school objection handling. You would have done it on flashcards before, right? Sure, but using technology to scale it. Right, and doing it inside of a platform. Do you know, like I, I, I... even a year ago, I ran the report. Now that session, that phone buddy that was like Harry's brainchild that I always made fun of because I'm like, oh man, the phone buddy, It's who's going to use that? It is still in the top. Now there are 70,000, 80,000 courses in KnowledgeLink. It's still in the top 10 every month. Wow. People wow, love it. John, and- so to me, you just hit the nail on the head. I didn't know that piece. I knew that, I knew that uh, Hoopas had used your platform. I didn't know that it was in the top 10 of 70,000 courses. It's not surprising to me. And for our listeners, I want to just thread a needle here. What you just described is, for those of you who don't know, um, Harry Hoopas and, and other members of his family um, are highly regarded as among the most successful insurance agents in a particular element or particular segment of the business. And so the reason this is important, John, from my perspective, is that our belief system, and, and you're the one who has sort of the technical background in this, but our belief system is that one of the things that makes content compelling in a professional setting, which by the way is different than me having a flat tire and needing to go on YouTube to figure out how to fix it, right? Like that, there's a different urgency in that regard. But one of the biggest problems that has existed in the past is that if it was the marketing department with the best of intentions, or even the training department with the best of intentions, trying to do phone buddy, but you're not Harry Hoopus. It's Harry Hoopus, his expertise is the thing that really brings it to life and creates that magic. And, And so what we are saying and our whole philosophy is based on, look, you have Harry Hoopus in the accounting department and you have Harry Hoopus in the sales organization and you have Harry Hoopus, you know, in different elements So our whole framework is, look, training departments, sales enablement, your job isn't to be Harry Hoopas. And if you use the acting metaphor, going back to your screenwriting days, 
we're saying that the job of sales enablement or training or sales execution, your job is to be a director like Francis Ford Coppola. And your job is to find the actors who can play those roles in The Godfather. And so you still have to have a skill set to be able to figure out who's the right person who's credible in this area. A hundred percent. And I think what you're explaining is something that we built into KnowledgeLink from the beginning. You know, and it's interesting, the the original, it was originally called, um, and we weren't very good at naming things back then, the Financial Services Training Portal. That was like <laughs> the original name, right? And, but the FNTP, right? Yes, yeah, it was excellent, excellent name. Yeah. So, but the concept for it, when we drew it all up, was an aggregate model that as an insurance agent, you would come in and you choose the companies because, like, you know, in our business, that you're going to sell with three different companies. Exactly. So, what companies do you sell for? Which associations do you belong to? Which software products do you use? And then the system worked great. It came back and it would say, okay, based on your profile, here's all the content we would recommend from our different providers. So we built that back in 2002 when no one really had this idea of an aggregate model. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough relationships in the industry back then sure. to fill out that library. So it was a, the technology was there. But we didn't, the, the content buckets were empty. We didn't have enough of the content. And yeah. the people we did have didn't yet have their content in digital format. Yep. So it was just a little too early. And then early. I met, yeah. And then I met Harry and, and his partner, Joey Davenport, who's the, the president of, um, of Hoopus Performance Network. We met them at a Gamma, at, at a LAMP conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back probably now like 2000 six, maybe 2007. And Harry did have those relationships across the industry. He had the brand name, Ah. he already built the technology. And we said, listen, exactly like you say, you're the expert. You guys were trainers, like Joey and Harry were expert trainers and they had that field expertise, Sure, but they weren't the best in branding. They weren't the best in social media when that came and, and all the different stuff or CRM. So they really went out and said, okay, well, we're gonna use our name and our connections, and we'll build that aggregate library inside a knowledge link. And our uh, our original tagline didn't last for very long, but to, you'll appreciate this. It was from the field for the field. That was, I love it. No, yeah. I mean that's that's. Yeah. I mean, we could use that today. That exact tagline. What do you believe the next generation of learning solutions is going to become? What What do you think will be different as we look back, say three years from now? on what will happen over the next three years as it relates to how people learn at work? So I, I think the, the big change is gonna be in the area of artificial intelligence, learning AI, because it's so close. The, um, the technology's there. And you know, as, as you know, we're in, you know, we're in the same industry. Managers don't need more work to do. They don't need more, you know, what we've created now with all of these platforms is they're getting more, more training content coming in, more that they have to review, more that they have to give feedback on. And so this promise of a more intelligent learning platform that can start checking off some of the boxes for a manager, giving the feedback to users, moving them along that path and learning and getting better at it because of the data that's been collected through you know, the, the hundreds of thousands or millions of users that are coming through a platform, I think that's going to be the big push forward. You know, you, you think about 
this first wave of curation, which everyone's excited about, is this ability for users to bring content into a platform. I think that's that's nice. But the machine-generated curation, the curation like you're talking about, where because you read this book and you bought this, we think you might like these three things. And to the point where your learning path can learn the way that you learn, the types of content that work better for you, Mark, versus me, and then start suggesting and giving you feedback without a manager having to do it manually, to that's where I think we've got to go. And that's where I think the technology is there to some extent, but it needs a certain amount of data before it can be intelligent enough to make those recommendations. So technically is possible today in the platform where the platform is learning the way that you, you like to consume content, what media formats work for you versus me, uh, the pace that I go through it, the giving feedback automated to some extent so the managers don't have to keep logging in and moving you along that path. To me, I think that is the future of all these learning platforms. So much now with LXP is about user, user curated and generated content. And I think that's all well and good, but when we can get to this next level where there's enough data in the platform that the machine learning can get to that next level and start making those recommendations, curating content for you because it knows how you learn differently than me. I think that's our next wave. And again, it's probably two or three years down the road, not, not because the technology is not there, but there's not enough data yet because it requires a certain amount of a data set so that it can start to recommend content. But I think it's to the point where you mentioned earlier that you go on Amazon and you just expect that if I read these three books, you know the next three to recommend to me. Absolutely. It, right? That's, yeah. that's what and, we and always have. That, that part of it is terrific. It really is. It does save time. And there's very few people that have that kind of encyclopedic knowledge that they can know this is the, you know, this is the, the, uh, the next book you should read based on those, those other two. But, the, you know, in that context, the technology really is amazing. And then it turns out when you don't have that AI, you just need a friend like Dave Will who can do it manually. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there'll always be a place for manual curation, right? So, John, if people want to learn more about syntax and motion and learn a little bit more about what you're doing and your podcast, by the way, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so everything for me is on uh, our show site, which is learninglifeshow.com. So Learning Life, uh, it's Learning Life with John Tota is the podcast show. It's on all the major platforms, so you can find it anywhere. Uh, we release a new episode every week. Uh, but learninglifeshow.com has our thought leadership, uh, white papers, eBooks. Uh, uh, we give away a lot of a lot of free online courses, and uh, and and all of our episodes are up there. So yeah, I think any you know if you want to learn anything more about us, obviously I'm on. I I pretty active on LinkedIn. That's that's probably the, the best platform to find me on. Uh, but learninglifeshow.com and um, syntax uh, syntaxemotion.com also. But uh, yeah, I think the most entertaining place to, uh, to follow me would be uh, through Learning Life. Well, and the best part about going to that website, you can also hear about some of the original content that John and his team are doing. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to leave with that comment that we didn't talk about it but you need to check out some of the short form content that they are creating because it's very compelling and if 
you want to hear about creative uses of audio that most people don't think of, this will be a great place to start. So John, it's always great to, uh, to meet a kindred spirit like you, and especially be able to do it in this format of the podcast. So thanks for being part of this. And I very much look forward to continuing our conversation. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mark. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.